March 13, 2021. So what for Pedro show?
Well, for Pedro Show, happy Saturday. Uh, start off the show with... Saturday, man. It is Saturday. You can hear I'm not man alone, people. Brother Matt's in the Love Grotto on the Pleasure Point because we're still in quite quarantino mode, but 
I'm not totally man alone because those yeah. software engineers in Estonia with their Skype invention, that Mr. Al Margolis, Margolis. Margolis, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. I want to get that right. Uh, welcome aboard, Al. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. And uh, where are you talking to me from, Al? I'm in Chester, New York, which is about uh, no, I 50 miles northwest of New York City. I know a little bit about Chester because there's a drummer man named Mike Pride, I think, who lives there. That's right. And I saw your, uh, I was checking out, you know, looking through some of the the archives and so, oh, Mike's here. Cool. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah Mike's, uh, I've uh, met him a few times. Uh was shocked when I found that he lived here and he's probably within three miles, but I've never been to his place. So, well, he's got a uh, yeah, studio there just, because I made an album with him and, uh. Brandon Seabrook, uh, just, you know, okay. I have him on the show talking about Jack Wright and Bob Marsh and shit like this, and why not just improvise, so we made an album. But oh, Fantastic. By How long ago was that? Is that a long time ago or fairly recently? By Trading Files. Well, it was after he was on the show, oh. so that was a couple months ago. Okay. Cool. Yeah, Mike's a great drummer. It's like, I, mean, I didn't know him at all. He just showed up at one point on the... Uh, it's some house concert here in, uh, actually in Chester. A friend of mine was doing some shows here up until he moved down to the city a couple of years back. And Mike was one of the guys in the bill. And I met him for the first time, didn't know him. And uh, he's great, great guy, great drummer. Uh, you got to see him play a couple of times. We have not played yet, but hopefully someday. Yeah. So. And he's got a studio there too. So maybe you guys can collab record. Uh, but let's, let's get into your journey through music. Al, Please tell me your uh, earliest musical recollection. Uh, oh, uh, you mean playing or just listening? You know, anything musical. Some dudes have told me shit they heard inside their mom before they were born. <laughs> I do remember my mom singing uh, show tunes to me when I was a little kid, you know, driving a car and stuff like that. So probably that would be 56, 57. And where was that? 19. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn, so probably in Brooklyn, and uh, we moved to Queens, like when I was about two and a half, so just in New York City, okay. boroughs. Sure, sure. And, and so, uh, yeah, was, this pad that you grew up in, was there musical mm -hmm. instruments? Uh, they didn't, they did not play. I started playing guitar at about uh, 11 or 12, taking guitar lessons. Um, at some point later on, I took some piano lessons. I, uh, I went, you know, in, uh, in New York City Public School, they were actually offering some instruments. So I believe when I got to junior high school, I started playing violin. And then uh, later on in high school, I started playing clarinet. But I mean, my main thing was guitar for a long time. I you know, was a bad guitar player. Well, well, how did you get on the guitar? That Was that your choice? You saw somebody on TV? Or? Uh, no, it was my choice. I guess at that point, uh, you know, I started to listen to some music. And so playing guitar just seemed like a kind of a fun thing to do. So... I remember there was a, a, a music shop probably 15 blocks away. You know, you'd rent a, a acoustic guitar or something like that. So I'd go there, took lessons from some guy. Uh, I didn't just kept, you know, kept playing. So, you know, this was also, uh, was it so uh, mid-60s, late-60s? And then, you know, where you actually had to play, you actually had to be good. And so I had friends in bands, but I could never be in a band because I just wasn't very good. <laughs> Well, what was the first record you bought with your own money? 
I'm pretty sure it was, I was just thinking about that this morning. Going, oh, am I just going to ask something like that? So uh, it turned out it was, it was a soft parade, Doors. That sure. was my first rock record and first thing I ever bought. The Doors. And what about the yeah. first gig you went and saw? Uh, I th- okay, so I think the first things I might ever have seen were probably some, there was a, a park in Queens, not far from us, Alley Pond Park. And it was, uh, they would have outdoor concerts in the summer. You just, you know, local bands. So it was probably some band called the James Montgomery Band. Uh, other than that, it would have been going to the Fillmore and seeing a couple of, uh, trying to think what show was the first one. Might have been something like uh, Steppenwolf. Okay, we got to say Fillmore East because there's still the still Fillmore, yeah, Fillmore East, exactly. over here <laughs> on this side. Not the Fillmore West, the Fillmore East. So, yeah, so uh, might have been like Steppenwolf. Might have been the first show I ever saw. <laughs> okay. That's great, though, man. The you know, first gig I went to was T-Rex. I'm around your age. I'm born in 57. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, you know this thing, yeah, it was, uh, it was stuff like, uh, Johnny, you know, I, I mean, some of the weird bills I saw, like, uh, I think we saw, we saw, it was Johnny Winter and was headlining the night when uh, the Owen brothers were recording the live parts of their second album, you know, so, and it was like an Elvin Bishop group was on before them or something. So it was, you know, the scenes and those are, you know, this, those bills were so weird. I saw one with a, uh, it was Jay Giles' band, Captain, with their first record, Captain Beefheart and, like, Billy Joel, like, as a solo pianist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I saw Kiss open up for Wishbone. They were more, uh, <laughs> you know, and the, the opening act for T-Rex was Albert Hammond, you know. It was, <laughs> like, in those days, it was more uh, music's music, right? No, so much, not so much genre shit. In a way, it was a little Yeah, exactly. That no, was totally, it was like, yeah, like, I think that's definitely... Them- it was like them. It was ten? It was Genie Ravon and Ten Wheel Drive and like Luther Allison, some uh, blues guitarists, and I think Chicago. So, yeah, it was like, you know, uh, you'd see the weirdest bills, which were great, man. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, not, we lost some of that. Okay, uh, so you you didn't feel you played guitar good enough to be in a band, so you didn't do the bedroom garage band, basement band thing after high school. Or, or a junior high? I don't mean after. I mean like afternoon when school's mm. out. Uh, no, you know, I think the sort of the first, well, you know, a couple of friends of mine, uh, we, we tried playing a little bit at one time. Like I remember maybe two or three of us playing guitar. Maybe it was a drummer trying to do like, you know, Fire by Hendrix or something or Purple Haze, but, you know, just jamming. But I think the first playing with people, at least with the attempt to be a band, was in like first year in college. We all stayed home and uh, – Couple guys, uh, I guess it was most of the guitarist and the drummer. We were playing, we were trying to do like uh, Sweet Jane or something like that. But no, it was never real. The first band was really uh, shit, man. I was like 25, <laughs> 23 or something like that. That was the first real attempt at a real band, you know. So other than that, it was just kind of watching my friend's bands play and hanging out and, you know, going, I can't play that good. You know, and this was, you know, this was pre this is pre punk. So sure, sure. this is sort of. This is pre-DIY, so really, you know, you sort of had to know, you know, this was, I don't think even the concept of, oh, being a crappy band or a crappy player, like, entered my mind at that point, you know. Well, like, you were probably a victim of the same thing we were, arena rock. There was no club culture, so, like, no little, uh, like, farm league or, you know, minor league. It's all just either the big shit or nothing. Uh, what about, so you went to college for music or something else? 
No, no, I just went to college. I was uh, I went to Queens College, which is like a local college. It was you know, a pretty decent four-year school. And they actually had a uh, – I didn't go for music. I ended up just going because you, know, you went to college, and that was, you know, the, that was the way to your, you know, your job or something. And sure. so um, – but actually, Queens had a pretty decent, apparently, music program if you were like, you know, classical music type of situation. So they had some, you know, pretty well-known apparent or even had a couple of electronic music composers. But I didn't know anything about that back well, then. So, yeah, let's talk about that, because this is what you end up doing is electronic music. Well, shit, I, I, I saw some videos where you're like crumpling on paper and using a bow <laughs> on a fucking mason trowel. And I mean, it's bitching. I love it. Well, thanks, thanks, yeah. You, so, you make anything well, in the music, but what was, uh, you know, not feeling you're good enough to be in a guitar, uh, uh, in a band because you can't play guitar into this thing where, like, anything's game, anything can be music. Well, that was, uh, so, you know, so basically after, so when I actually started a band with a friend of mine, and we, we was a sort of a punkish, post-punky type band, you know, we still weren't very, really good, but it was already, a, you know, when, you know, DIY scene had happened that like punk had happened. So it was like, okay, you don't have, you know, so we went from basically listening to, you know, yes. And King Crimson and like where things got more and more esoteric and people, you know, it was all about chops and to the point where, so, you know, the, the whole sort of punk, uh, you know, Elvis, you know, even just like Elvis Costello, but just, just, just songs. And that the whole scene, you know, kind of this weird thing of like, okay, you don't have to be good. It's about, it's about emotion. It's about, you know, it's about playing something and expressing something so that you're not locked into, Oh, I have to play this, you know, these notes in the right order here. And, um, you know, so just kind of starting that way. And then after a couple of years of playing with a band like that, um, and we kept going, the thing is, you know, not only were we were, we still weren't very good that we did actually do one of those CBGB's auditions, uh, that they would have. Um, <laughs> we kept going through singers and drummers. You know, our drum, we, you know, we went through about four lead singers and a couple of drummers. And then at one point, my friend, the guy I was writing songs, who was kind of, his name was Jay Hernandez. We just kind of like, you know, let's buy a drum machine and a synth and we can just do this shit ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> and so we started doing that. And I had like, uh, I had ended up, you know, we, we, were work, we actually were working at a job together where, where we met. And so we, you know, we bought a, I bought a Moog Rogue uh, from a friend of mine and, uh, we had uh, I got a, you know a dramatics drum machine and we bought a four, bought the X the Fostex X fifteen uh, cassette you know, you know four track cassette player recorder yeah. and we just started doing you know our own thing we just started writing you know recording our own songs uh, you know occasionally have another musician sing or play drums but it was just me and, me and him playing bass guitar um, doing really simple drum machine things and you know since most of the equipment was sort of my place I you know I just what I started doing is like. So I always liked weirder music for a long time, or I had gotten the Zapper and uh, Soft Machine and uh, Henry Cow and stuff like that. And so at one point, it was just like, well, let me just do this thing myself. And, you know, that's where I drifted down to <laughs> where we are now. <laughs> <laughs> Which is beautiful. Look, I want to play. Thanks. You gave me this one tune, like most of this stuff, if Moana, but this one is Elka Bomb. Ah, okay. <laughs>
of subculture. A salad of futures. A two-faced idea. You will lose track. You will sleep all over the place. Our friend's birthday. Everything. 
lose everything? Have you met your inside? Track. 
You will sleep all over the place. Your skin will be thick with wool and chills will light on your shoulder where there's a chip shinier than the plate that threw itself in wreck and fantastic excess across the living room to break and put the fear of God into me. Is that a slaughterhouse or a bedroom? There are two stalls on the left and three stalls on the right. Your dog runs there sometimes. The cows were fed crushed corn and garbage. Have you hiked up Mont Saint-Hilaire? Can you see the saxophone in the window? Were you there for the first act? It wasn't very good. A face emerges from the bones. I walk and you walk behind me and we are just talking about one another. A face emerges from the bones. Yes, we are talking now. A face emerges from the bones. I walk and you walk behind me and we are just talking about one another. Were you there for the first 
bunching up in one little spot. Got friends. <laughs> I love your. Enjoying this so much is
Pedro show. That chunk of music started with Kai or maybe Kentucky. I don't know. Elka Bong, okay? Elka is the first word, Bong. But if you know anything about the fucking moose, uh, <laughs> right? You got it, my squirrel friend. And, <laughs> you know, but because we did not want to be sued by uh, um, anybody, we often tell people that uh, we were actually just fronting for a Swedish uh, bond company. So, <laughs> <laughs> Cheat, uh, Tommy Chong, right? He went to jail. Mm-hmm. Yes, nine months. For that shit. <laughs> okay, to back after that, uh, brand new Jara Kusu. Fuck, destroyed that Cyrus. <laughs> Bar- a Barry Burko band of a fond memory from his big piece. He just recently did. Network Glass Out of Baltimore with 4A. Brand new from Psychic Hotline, Spider Queen. Bomas Prendon from the D.C. area. Jet Lag Doppler Start. And Hands Rotten from Switzerland after that. And DeLonging. And finally, If Moana, Skyline Sunset Voce. Some Italian in voice. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Now, okay, okay. So... The electronic rabbit hole. It actually the the gateway drug was the punk movement. Okay, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, just uh, so just that is, whole that whole it's you know the punk movement and, and all aspects of well, DIY. Well, can I ask so you zines. about? Can I ask? Yeah, of course, zines is a big part of that, and mixtapes. What about a band like Throb and Gristle? Oh man, they're like uh, they were one of yeah they. One of the gateway drugs in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like the second annual, I, the, know, the first annual report, sorry, the second annual report. Yeah, third and final. Yeah, I, there was that there happened to me. So for at one point, I was living with my folks out in uh, Great Neck in Long Island. I, you know, just uh, I think I was. I've been in California a couple years. Came back. That's where I was kind of living when I went to school. And there was this really great. It was the weirdest record store. It was on Northern Boulevard in Little Neck, Queens. Um, had this great, you know, Northern Boulevard was pretty much a main kind of thoroughfare and uh, had these great big windows, but they were selling, they were selling uh, Throbbing Gristle and sort of that experimental um, English, a lot of English import and stuff. So I think I got the This Heat's first record there. and oh, yeah. uh, great. You know, so they were, so that, yeah, so I think the first one I got was, uh, was either a was second report or... Um, uh, 20, 20 jazz funk great hits, but man, yeah, you know, that's, a, good Russell, too. that's a great idea. <laughs> but I mean, the, the idea, well, what, what about the, you know, the, the big daddies? Like, there was a show here on you guys had WBAI, but our Pacific station was KPFK, and mm-hmm. uh, Carl Stone had a show named after uh, John Cage, Imaginary Landscape, and he would play Morton Sabotnik and Carl. Uh, Hein Stockhausen and were you hip to that stuff? Uh, not at that point, actually. Um, I guess the first the first kind of contemporary classical experimental stuff was, you know, so it was it would basically be, be Edgar Varese from you know, sure. through, through, through Zappa and Mothers, you know. So he, you know, because Frank would always have that quote in the back: "The modern composer refuses to die." So I would go to the library, and I, I think the first things I ever heard were some of Varese. Uh, you know, some Philip Glass, some Cage. Um, what are the what are, what are the weird? I keep telling people there was so there's a there's a, a this, there was a uh, European f- film couple Straub Hulet, uh, Daniel Marie uh, and uh, uh, Marie Straub and Daniel Daniel Hulet. And uh, I was in I was in college. I was taking this this one guy 
I was teaching, I was teaching film and politics. It was a poli sci course, and he was playing. He was showing all these weird films, and so one of the films they did was Schoenberg's Moses and Aaron, and it's, and their stuff is the driest. It's kind of really interesting with the driest stuff. It's like there's no, there's a bunch of guys dressed as middle, you know, uh, uh, biblical characters standing in the desert and singing this, you know, and or singing this stuff, and that was the first. First time I heard any shit like that. And here's this weird opera, like you know, holy crap! So these are my things in. Um, okay. I didn't but, you know, start I, th- getting... I think it's important about the punk movement because people think it was just fast guitars and slamming, but it was about yeah. experimental music too. Well, you got you know, you guys are <laughs> you're the Minutemen were on my list of you know classic you know experimental stuff. I mean, it was just totally, you know, your shit was totally unique. You know, uh, uh, were you hip to uh, stuff, this guy named Klaus Schulze? Uh, I knew, I knew who he was. I mean, I know who he is. I had never listened too much. I was never, you know, when I, when I kind of go back and think about it, like I was not so much a synthy kind of guy, experimental stuff. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I like some of tea dream stuff. Um, that's where he came from. That's where he came. Yeah. From. Yeah. But uh, some of that stuff, you know, that's, Sometimes it's really nice. Uh, you know, I keep telling people, like, like I, you know, I like Sabotnik stuff, but he's not my favorite. You know, some of that, you know, sometimes it's, I know people who are big synth heads, and they were a little older than me. And so, uh, for instance, uh, uh, you know, his classic, the first one, you know, Silver Apples is like. Oh, Simeon. To yeah, their... we just lost Brother Simeon. You know, but some people yeah, like. But even, but, even Sabot, but even Sabotnik's, you know, piece. You know, which is the, one of the first electronic ones recorded for, you know, specifically, I guess it was for CBS or something. Like, there, that's their gateway into, you know, electronic music. You know, Absolutely. me was more. But, uh, Dar- you know, Darby, Delia Darbyshire, she thought electronic yeah, music yeah, should yeah, be, yeah. be cutting on tape. She, she, she got out of the whole racket because of synthesizers. Well, I have a friend that, like, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you, uh, this guy, John Wiggins, who was a cassette guy and a tape guy, and also worked for many years as the head sound guy at HBO when they were just starting up. And they apparently they built the whole studio for him. But he had, he was, and he was totally into uh, analog synths back in, you know, 80s, 70s, 80s. He had, I think, a, a Surge or a Buchler or something. And, you know, his comment about synths was, you know, which, which is, is after Delia Derbyshire was like, you know, you know, when they started making synths, when he got when he came to digital, as opposed to analog, they ruined the synths. You know, so everybody's got their story of you know electronics and the synths. <laughs> right, the idea that it had to be married to a keyboard, and then it becomes like yeah. fake synth uh, string sections for uh, yeah, exactly. rock pad. Yeah, yeah. Al, we're at the end of the first hour. Very interesting shit, though. March 13, twenty twenty one. Edition Wap Pedro Show special guest Al Margolis. Hold tight for our two. Yeah. March 13, 2021, second hour of the Wap for Pedro Show.
I can't stop thinking about this one memory of my dad.
Pedro show we start off the second hour Ian sometimes why if Bawana then Sean Lennon with exile Kuso no Fuki Damari by slang finally if Bawana Gilmore's girls now I think if Bawana started maybe with uh, us Minutemen had a year to go like 1984 or something yeah yeah first uh, first I date the first piece that I ever did for uh, January 1st, 1984. Wow. New Year's Day. New Year's, New Year's Day. Day. Okay. So, so it showed what a boring life I had. I spent my New Year's Day making music. Oh, that's bitching. <laughs> and in fact, around New Year's Day, four years before, that's when we started the Minutemen. So that's a trippy reference. Okay. So now, now how if Bawana is different than you and your buddy before that when you ditched the singers and drummers? Uh, well, that so the F one stuff started. To, so the first one was just me, and it was starting to go down. So, I mean, writing songs and all was kind of fun, but it wasn't going anywhere. And it was just it was one it was one aspect of what I like I wanted to do at that point. But I was like I was just sitting around the house and going, I just have to do the things I have to do. So, if you want to, I mean, if you want a point of reference in terms of some of the instrumentation, it was the first F one track was a drum machine. Uh, piece was called Slave and Raid. Was ba- and I, you know, so you have me doing vocals the entire time, going slave at rave, you know, through some processing and uh, a, dr- a drum machine, me playing bass, uh, 
the Moog Rogue, which was a mono synthesizer and some screechy violin through some, I think it was going through a delay pedal. It was going through a, a, uh, a phase, a phase pedal with distortion and a, uh, cheesy, uh, echo box. And so the reference would almost be throbbing gristle in that sure. sense of, you know, that sort of drone loop, um, grungy, you know, sludgy type of thing. Right, right. Hamburger lady. Well, so so, yeah, so was, that, was this captured yeah. by the Fostix four track cassette? It was. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great little beast. It's still, I still have it. 35 years later, it still sort of works. Wow. <laughs> Kicking like Cato. That's great. Doesn't, now, now at the same time that you're composing and you know creating a library of uh, man alone stuff, are you doing gigs? Uh, actually, we no, not really, because at that point uh, it was a two person operation uh, band, and uh, and you know so the, we weren't really a gigging type situation. We were just recording, and I had no idea where to play experimental stuff. There wasn't. You know, there wasn't, there might have been some kind of scene, but this was just me starting up doing this. And so this is, again, where the whole, uh, the whole DIY zine thing came in because it, I started, I started doing cassette. We started doing stuff. Yeah, like I was going to ask you about the cassette label because this was a way for you getting your music out. You couldn't play it for people, but you could get it. And of course, the zines is how you get the word out, right? Yeah, exactly. So we heard, you know, and that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons, that's how I heard about, you know, for instance, the myth. And all this other stuff was like through Op Magazine and uh, OP, yeah, you know, that was up by OP, Olympia. yeah, OP, right? So, right, way before there was grunge up there, there was bands like the Beakers, yeah, yeah, the Beakers and Three uh, Bears from Bangkok, and uh, <laughs> the Towel. I, I have like, I started, uh, I think I started getting OP at letter F, and that was, and they'd had at that point, they had. Cast the cast the nets column, which maybe had six tapes, and by the end it was full. By the last issue, there were tons of tapes. And you, if you look at my old issues, there's little cross, little marks and check marks like this sounds interesting. And I would write to these people, and so that's how I got into the cassette, you know, doing the label. But also, I started buying cassettes from people first. Okay, so and then it was kind of like, oh, I don't. If I tra if I make a cassette label, then I can just trade tapes and have to spend money on these tapes, and then. You go down a rabbit hole, man. <laughs> I know. I just want to let the listeners know, people wonder about the old days. The old days was a lot about people, connecting with people. Yeah. And I think the new mm -hmm. days is about people. It's always going to be about people, really. The other stuff is just kind of stuff on the side. It's about people. And so yeah. now you went on later to make a, a CD label too, right? Pogus. Yes, exactly. Pogus, yeah. So, uh, you know, so the cassette label lasted for about uh, eight years or so, from about 84 to, nine, uh, to I guess, about uh, 1991, 92. And, and that was, and at the end of the, so again, what you were asking, like, I had no knowledge of experimental classical Stockhausen, and, you know, other than peripheral, maybe reading a couple of the names, like, I didn't know, know any of this stuff. Right. And, and so, I, you know, a friend of mine, actually, who, when we started doing some games, and or a friend of mine, and this is all connections to like uh, you know tape stuff, writing in the magazines and finding people. We a guy, a friend of mine in Brooklyn, uh, Doug Walker. He had a band called Alien Planetscapes, just, and he had this massive rack array of synths and stuff like that. And uh, 
he would have had a salon in Paulding, and we would, and there was about a dozen people who would show up every Friday at his house for uh, in Brooklyn just to like you know listen to some music and hang out and meet each other, and people would just play gig like these small gigs for other people, and and Doug had had this massive record collection of like jazz, you know, experimental jazz and experimental music. And he would just let me take like 20, 30 records home every week. And I come home and I just start taping them, you know, under Stockhouse and Coggle and Cage and Subotnik and Cecil Taylor and, you know, you kind of name it. And so I got a, I got this really interesting education, self-education on the fly, just because Doug was like just generous enough. Like labels, labels like, uh, labels like Deutsche Gramophone and Hot Hood. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, so I want to play stuff, some more Ipawana like, you know, here, Al. I want to play Fitz, two-thirds. Okay.
I don't know if it's because I just smoked too much weed or just uh, whatever. He his tapes early on were pretty lousy sounding. He got better as the years went by and had more people helping him out. They think doing some of the engineering. So you listen to some of his early cassettes. It's like, oh, oh, is that tape piss or is that sound? <laughs> but the whole thing about having like what you said, the salon. I mean, that's what record stores were, right? People could con- connect, come together. Yeah. Same yeah. gig. Look, I should tell the people. Well, we heard the If Moana doing fits two thirds. Uh, no mercy after that with Bloodhound Blues, and then. Oh. Natraj, if Moana. I mean, it's so important stuff like that. So maybe Doug didn't have all the chops for the technical and needed some help with his buddies. He still provided a, 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 a nexus. Oh, totally. Yeah. Brunch. I mean, we met a bunch yeah. of people, people I played with, people I still know from. So, no, Doug was like, you know, Doug was the. They had just moved into Brooklyn, I think, at that point. Uh, and uh, so, you know, so and I knew Doug from and a couple of the people from, uh, again, just trading tapes and like local stuff. And so, yeah, to meeting at Doug was really, really it, was, it went on for a couple of years. It was really beneficial. And Doug was really supportive. And everybody again, you, you know, again, you said it's about people. It's meeting people, yeah. connecting, um, you know, it's again, you know. That's what it was about, meeting other musicians. That's how, I mean, that's, that's been the most fucked up thing about this past year. Is well, that, it's like, just a you postponed. Know, we're going we're we're to get it back I together. tell people that, like, hmm? We're going to get it back together. Just postpone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, that I mean, of all the things, like, not seeing, you know, not going to gigs and playing gigs and then seeing yeah. other people and meeting other people and playing with other people, that really, you know, you don't realize how much there's a level where it takes right. its hold just because... You know, I've gone through fallow periods in my music making and playing, and it's been because, you know, I've been sitting by myself <laughs> too long. <laughs> okay, okay. But, whatever, you know, we do have something over the old days where we can actually trade files over the Internet. They, you couldn't do True, that before. Yes. So that's a new... Well, we used to, we used to, well, we used to, we used to make cassettes that way. Too. I know. Would, believe me, that's how I did the first dose album, me and Kay trading cassettes. Keeps <laughs> <laughs> in the mail. Back yeah. up. A tiny little bit of delay of game. We're at the end of the second hour, Al. Al. Uh, March 13, 2021, Dishwap Peter Show. Special guest, Al Margolis. Hold tight for hour three. March 13, 2021, it's the third hour of the Watt for Pedro Show. Somebody 
probably somebody he knew popped him behind the ear with a 25 Beretta. When I think about it now, it had to be somebody he knew. Shawnee wouldn't let nobody he didn't know get that close. So now his brother Tommy's on the warpath and he's lining up Mick and Brandon and Kevin and Richie and everybody, the whole crew. When to tell you the truth, it could have been any one of them that whacked Sean. That's how fucked everything's got. Ever since Tommy and Sean took it into their thick donkey skulls to go down to Bensonhurst. Sessions on Pier 86 and the girls and the juice and the cigarettes and booze going into the bars and the guns and the flow coming out. And then they had to go down to Bensonhurst. Body by Rikers Island and a brain like a peanut man. Sunday morning singing Oh Mary Conceived without sin Pray for us Who have recourse to Call them the Westies, 
And it was a funny thing, Sean telling his ma that Good things come to those who wait, ma It was funny, cause I knew him a long time And Sean, he never waited for nothing And here's our fucking
Lot for Pedro show. Start off third hour with Westies from the Styrenes. My Dolls with Echo and the Bitter Forest from Al Margolis and Tom Hamilton. Uh, enlighten us about the Styrenes, Al, please. So the Styrenes were uh, part of the, the Cleveland punk scene. Uh, Electric Eels, Mirrors, Pagans, uh, right. you know, Perubu, Rocket from the Tomb, that whole sort of thing. Um, so early 70s. Uh, I ended up working with Paul at uh, New World Records. And as I was, you know, he was the managing director. I started there as a shipping clerk. And then, you know, because it was six people in the company, I moved up when two people left to, uh, you know, to sort of the, the A&R production guy. <laughs> doesn't take very much. So, uh, so, so actually, so the Westies, so, so and after a few years of working there, I ended up, he needed a bass player for one of the bands or one of the other projects. Uh, so I ended up just being the bass player for 17 years of their 35-year existence. And this is probably the only sort of rock tune I've ever written that's actually on a record anywhere. So I just figured I'd throw that in as just a ringer. <laughs> okay, no, that's okay. And fucking especially the bass connect. I'm into that. Yeah. <laughs> 17 and, you know, and, years. And, 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 and the bass of that song was basically was based on that, that bass line, which was okay. my bass line, you know. And that's yeah. where the song got based around. So. That's bitching. That's bitching, you know. See, there's always room for bass, people. Yeah. And who's, totally. Tom, who's Tom Hamilton? Uh, Tom Hamilton is an electronic musician and uh, engineer in New York who has worked for many, many years, worked with Robert Ashley's uh, ensemble. Okay. He was the uh, engineer and sound guy for them and uh, a lot of the uh, background sound. So Tom has been around. He's from uh, originally from Wisconsin, been living in New York for many years, electronic guy, uh, great friend. He's not the bass player with Aerosmith. Okay. It's the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Tom is... Uh, and and. If you ever need a really, if you're an experimental musician, and he's not doing so much of this anymore, but if you're ever an experimental musician who needs a really good mixing and or mastering guy, Tom is the guy to get in touch with. Because right. he is killer at that shit. He's got the details down and, you know, the ear for that stuff. Something I do not have. I was like, oh, you know, I can't, I can't spend this much time. <laughs> you know, you mentioned Aerosmith and experimental music. I'll tell you this. Glenn Branca told me his favorite rock band was Aerosmith. <laughs> I can I, I can believe that, yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was, I was doing his uh, 13th symphony and he told me. Okay, I want to play yeah, one. You must be able to hear something. Want, well, he actually went to Boston for theater. That was his first thing. That's what he told me. I want to play Once Upon a Time, if one.
hundreds of them was the sound they made.
Watch for Pedro Show, final music for this edition. Once upon a time, if Bawana. Now, if Bawana is an acronym, right? It is, yes. Uh, stands for, it used to be a, a closely guarded secret, but uh, I've let it out over the years. It's, it basically stands for, it's funny, but we are not amused. <laughs> yeah. I keep uh, I keep telling people, it's, it's ba- I kind of pictured uh, Monty Python's Queen Elizabeth with her hand waving, like, you know, and it's sort of that frozen smile. Yeah. That's all always been like that's what kind of drove the name and stuff. well it, it makes me think of ron ashton telling me because he knew uh bob mitchum and uh, okay yeah something about his son or something that's how he knew him and when they were the stooges were in hollywood and so they were at some party and some dude's yammering on bob mitchum and he's and he says to him you know that that's probably very interesting but not to me <laughs> yeah, <about> right. <laughs> so, so, the, when did you get you, you? You go on past the drum machine, past synthesizer. You get into making music out of everything, right? Yeah, yeah. Like totally. I said, I've seen these uh, YouTube.com videos. They're they're incredible, and it's trippy if you close your eyes, or if you watch. They are two different kinds of things because. Sound really is a mysterious thing. I mean, what we call totally music, because yeah. we group our things with bass guitars and drum sets. But what if you use crumpled paper? What if you use all these other things to make the sounds? They still end up doing rhythms and patterns and statements. Yeah, it's just, you know, it becomes, it's, it's, it, it, it's sort of a shift from... Uh, it's sort of a shift from making, you know, for one of a better, I guess, word or term, it's going from making music to making sound. And his sound is the entire, you know, so that's a Cajun and a Pauline Oliveros. I mean, it just sound is all, is everything. Right. And so it's just part of it. And so it's just using, it's not even, it's just, you. I kind of just got into just using other things because uh, I don't even, you know, I'm not even sure how, you just want to drift down that path, I suppose, at some point. And particularly, as, so I do a lot of gigs for a long time, and particularly my my quote unquote compositions and a lot of things you're playing was a lot of laptop stuff. You know, work composed to tape and then say played live at a laptop. And I did a lot of work with a, a video artist, so we would tour and uh, she would do the video, I'd do the sound of just my you know she'd be playing of my pieces, and sometimes we'd incorporate uh, other people who were around. But over time, also it became you know what was missing was a tactility of actually playing anything. So to actually go now and and I've become more and more acoustic so that it's just the sound of what's around and maybe what's in a room and my you know crappy violin with the objects and stuff. So I can now play any gig because I don't care if there's electricity. Don't make a difference. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the old, there was an old adage in vaudeville, right? Work the room. You literally mm-hmm. work the fucking room. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's and, it. The- and, there's, and there's been some gigs that like, they're absolutely, it's absolutely, it's absolutely amazing what you can, particularly, you know, you do a house concert, you do some small space, and you're, you know, you, and so you can actually hear what's going on. And when you sometimes, I'd be playing these really, the last bunches of gigs I was doing solo were like all these really quiet, quiet things where uh, the sets wouldn't even go on more than 15 minutes, 20 minutes, because it became this tension between people. Sitting in the room and how much you know and how much sound you're making or not making and hearing people fidget and squeak and incorporating that into the thing and so it becomes this really interesting tension and 
you know, and then you can kind of feel when, okay, this is probably about the edge or people are going to start, you know, you know, getting really anxious. And so then you stop, but it's kind of time to flush the punch bowl. Yeah. It was a great, I did a gig, uh, the last tour I was in Europe, we did this gig and it was in somewhere in, uh, it was in Poland and it was, it was, these guys had a, they they were in a noise fest in this little building that they rented on by the railroad tracks. And I'm doing this piece, this, this quietish piece, but it was electrified because the room couldn't quite do it. So I'm sitting there and I'm, and I, right before the set, I go, oh, it would be great if a train came by. And so I'm sitting there and I'm at the edge of the end of my set just about. And this train comes by. It must have been a freight train. It probably ran past for five minutes and you can hear it kind of just drifting off. And that was the end of the set. You know, when you couldn't hear the train anymore, it's like, we're done. And the timing couldn't have been perf- more perfect. But, you know, you got to pay attention to what's going on sometimes. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But like the, like that crowd becoming part of the piece because of the, they're, they're t- attentive, the, the attention. It's a, tr- a weird t- a type of collab. So you yeah. had one with you the can, fucking train there. You know, you can hear you can hear them. Try, it's funny because you can hear them trying not to make noise. And, yeah, you know, absolutely. it kind of is like, oh, it's okay if you make noise. If you move your seat and it squeaks because that's just another part of my sound. Right, now, apparently. right, right, right. So, you know, this journey you're on. You've been on, still going on. What what advice would you give to somebody younger wanting to get in on the same thing? I think just, I think you just have to be true to what you want to do. Um, well, you know, it's funny. I have a, a friend of mine who, you know, this isn't this isn't the music portion of it, but you know, he's 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 really is a younger guy. He's really into DIY culture, but he seems to have the issue with actually doing anything. Like you know, like. The, the, the idea of DIY culture is to do it. Doing it is that, you know, yourself is key, is a portion of it, but if you can work with other people, it's great. It's just, but doing it, you know, so whatever you're doing, do it. You know, if you're interested in experimental music, you know, um, I mean, you can listen to other people, but just go with what you think you want to do. Don't worry, because first of all, if you're doing this kind of stuff, you ain't making any money. So, you know, don't worry. Don't worry about getting a career out of this thing. So, you know, if you want to just just if you follow, you want to follow your heart and your ears, just do it and not worry, you know, about where it's going to take you because it can take in a really strange journey in a really, in a, you know, in a really good, you meet lots of interesting people. You can, you know, and, you know, you can come across people who, you know, I've in this travels, I've, you know, I've met people who are sort of my idols, you know, and who are still doing, you know, they never got sucked into, I can make a lot of money at like experimental music. It's like they just done what they wanted to do. And so, you know, go for it. <laughs> That's beautiful, Al, truly. It's been huge honor, big honor to have you on. Thank oh, you thanks, so Mike. much. Likewise. Okay. People, it's March 13, 2021 edition of Show. Keep your powder dry. <laughs>